So, Mark. Yes? This has been a weird year. Um, you could say that again. Now, you have moved around a bit more than I have. Uh, I did literally move since quarantine started, but it has been the circumstance that between this apartment and my old apartment, I have spent more time there than anywhere else this year. Yeah, I can see that. And now, this week we are doing our annual halfway through the year check-in on where movies are. And of course, movie theaters have been closed in the United States since March. So some movies came out. A lot of movies went straight to VOD. Is there anything that you saw this year, any 2020 releases that you wanted to talk about, shout out, raise awareness? I really can't think of anything I watched this year except Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was a 2019 release. Good movie, though, available on Hulu. Uh, Perfect movie. If you haven't seen it, get on that right now. Yeah, I talked about that some in the end of 2019 episode that we released last December. I really can't think of anything I've seen in theaters this year. Okay, um, I have been working pretty hard to try and stay abreast of these sorts of things, so it seems like I have probably seen a few more than you, but that's particularly because knowing we were recording this, I have been working pretty hard to catch up. According to my stuff, by now I have seen 24 2020 releases, which is low for me, but I think pretty good for this year. So some of the best ones that I just wanted to mention really quickly, probably the best movie out so far this year is Defive Bloods, the new Spike Lee movie available on Netflix. Are you aware of that one, Mark? Yes, I am. I should watch it. I know it's pretty I great. There's so many that are even available for free streaming. I just have mostly been watching trash TV and comedies this year in terms of like movies. Fair. So, uh, in case you're wondering, Flavor of Love Season 1 holds up. Great show. Nick and I are now watching Floor is Lava on Netflix. I've heard good things about that. It's fun. Flavor of Love Season 1 is the season in which Pumpkin spits on New York. All-time great that TV That sentence moment. meant nothing to me. <laughs> All-time great TV moment. If you can find it streaming, would recommend. Good to know. Good to know. Um, yeah, so Five Bloods, great movie. Um, it's Spike Lee doing his messy sort of aggressive spike lee thing talking about a group of black vietnam veterans who go back to vietnam to recover the remains of their fallen commander as well as to recover the crate full of gold that they were delivering on the mission when they were ambushed and he died so it's like kind of this rumination on black veterans and kind of a treasure hunt movie that sounds very fun i should check that out it's really fun um some other cool stuff the way back is a High School Basketball movie starring Ben Affleck as their coach, which sounds really dull and cookie cutter, but is actually really well done. It's easily Ben Affleck's best performance in years. I watched Shirley about a week ago, which is a fictional story about a young couple that moves in with Shirley Jackson and her husband. It's got kind of a who's afraid of Virginia Woolf feel in its weird sexual energy. But what if they didn't just stay for the night? What if they stayed for months and months in that house? I really want to watch First Cow, which also came out on Friday. Yeah, so First Cow was originally released in US theaters like a week or two before quarantine started, and then A24 pulled it and is now re-releasing it just this past weekend. I have tickets to a Lincoln Center online screening to see it the day this episode comes out. I'm really excited to check out First Cow, which is about settlers in the Oregon Territory in the early 1800s. The title refers to a wealthy man in town who loves having milk in his coffee, so he has literally had the first cow in the territory shipped out to him. That sounds very much up your alley, and I really want to check it out. Yeah. Speaking of stuff tied to American history, you know what's really good, Mark? What? Hamilton. (laughs) I 
have not watched the movie version yet, to be honest. Well, let me tell you, it's pretty great. I heard it's well filmed. I watched it on stage like last summer. And so I kind of was like, I don't feel the pressure right now, especially when I have The Floor is Lava to watch, obviously. Sure. I hadn't seen it on stage since 2016, so it was nice to get to return to it. And it is something that's really well made as a movie. And I got to say, it's nice to see that after all these years, Hamilton holds up. That's one of a couple of more documentary style things that I've been watching during quarantine. Another one I really liked was a movie that's available on Hulu called Spaceship Earth which is about the Biosphere 2 project in the 1990s. This group of scientists that tried to build a closed environment where everything that they needed would come from this dome that they were going to live in. And while like that's kind of an interesting story in its own right, the documentary goes back through the history of the organization that became the Biosphere Company and how they had been this sort of strange commune going back to the 60s that at one point like they all lived on a ship together and at another point they all lived on a farm together and it's like right on the line where you're wondering is this a cult or not and you can't quite tell but it's that larger scope that makes that doc so interesting now i haven't heard you mention a movie that i know you discussed a few weeks back a 2020 release your favorite movie of the year i'm sure unfortunately it did not have a man singing to a seal that he then chucked off a cliff But I'm, of course, talking about Doolittle. I have seen the film Doolittle. We've discussed it a couple of times on the show because, of course, we had our Dr. Doolittle episode about two months ago. Um, It's bad. It's incoherent. And yet it is still not the worst movie I saw in 2020 because I have seen Artemis Fowl, which fails on the most basic levels. One of its cool final lines is Artemis Fowl declaring, I'm a criminal mastermind, which is true in the books. But in the movie, he has committed fewer crimes than Grindelwald. That is a choice that you made to watch because even before it came out, I saw only the worst reviews I've maybe ever seen. The really shameful thing is that it came out the same day as Defive Bloods and I watched Artemis Fowl first. Oh, Will. That movie just... The Josh Gad of it all. Here's the thing. Josh Gad, maybe the best part of that movie. No, he's doing something that works in that movie. See, and that was the most damning thing I read. (laughs) The thing that said Josh Gad was maybe the best part of this movie. When he unhinges his jaw to shovel dirt through his face, it's a good special effect, and and I dug what he was laying down. Now, does it make any sense that Josh Gad narrates most of the movie? No, it does not. It kind of felt like they realized the movie didn't make any sense and sent some pages to him to record in his home. I'd buy it, to be honest. If you are looking for actually good family-oriented entertainment, Onward is really, really good. Is that streaming? It's the new Pixar movie. It's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, of course. That movie had a brief theatrical release before quarantine hit, and it's a really sweet story. I think I mentioned on an episode in a couple of weeks that I, I think it's Chris Pratt's best performance in a number of years, and it's a lot of fun. It's a D&D campaign as a movie, and it works. There are some a bunch of other movies that I really enjoyed. I think Emma, the new adaptation directed by Autumn DeWilde, is a ton of fun. This past week, The Old Guard was released on Netflix, which is a really fun, stylish action movie. I think in our episode next week, I talk about The Vast of Night, which is a movie I like a lot. Oh, I did watch that. I think that technically came out last year. It was at Tribeca last year, but it did not release in theaters in the US ever because it was supposed to come out this spring. Ah, okay. But I did watch that. That was very fun. Yeah. There are a couple of small-scale science fiction kind of movies that almost feel like Twilight Zone episodes that came out this year. The Vast of Night is one. Vivarium is another that I don't think is quite as good, but has some interesting visual aesthetics. Mark, I want to play a game with you in a moment, but I do want to shout out. Actually, no, I won't shout out. One of my favorite surprises of the year, a thing I did not expect to love, because it'll come up 
in a second. So Mark, since I know you spent the first chunk of this year out of the country, which means you were not only not seeing movies, you were not exposed to American advertising. I wanted to work with you to see if you could get the top 10 movies at the U.S. domestic box office as of July 10th, 2020. So we're more than halfway through the year. Okay. These are the top 10 box office movies. I have to know is Doolittle on there, and is it in the top five? Doolittle, starring Robert Downey Jr., is the third highest grossing film of 2020. Is Sonic the Hedgehog there, too? It's number two! Oh, my God. Um, It's worth noting that these numbers are based on box office receipts, so they're not based on on-demand rentals since quarantine started. So Universal made this claim that Trolls World Tour made $100 million. That has not been verified by anybody and is not included in this list. If it were, it would be on the list. Is Onward there? Onward is in at number eight because it was only in theaters for like two weeks before right. quarantine hit. It just cracked 100 mil. Any Marvel movies this year? I don't think so. There have not been. The first one was supposed to be Black Widow in May. Um, But there is a female fronted superhero movie on this list oh you told me to watch it like two weeks ago and i still have it is birds of prey or the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn it's a movie that is a ton of fun i did not expect to like birds of prey but it's a blast i also got to see an imax preview of tenet when i saw it which means that i got to see tenet in theaters in 2020 a thing i am not sure will actually happen uh didn't will smith have a movie this year he did. I will actually give it to you just for having that. Bad Boys for Life, the third Bad Boys movie, because for some reason they did not save Bad Boys for Life for the fourth one, is currently number one at the box office for 2020. Oh, crushing it. So at number one, we have Bad Boys for Life. Number two, Sonic the Hedgehog, which of course was supposed to be a 2019 movie until it was delayed because they made Sonic look terrifying. Number three is Doolittle. Number four, Birds of Prey. Number five is a really good, again, kind of a Twilight zone feel, small-scale sci-fi movie that in its original incarnation was supposed to be part of my favorite film franchise that barely was. The Dark Universe? This was originally developed as a Dark Universe oh, movie. Oh, it, so it's The Invisible Man? Yeah, which is great. Elizabeth Moss is having a year of spookiness. Elizabeth Moss can always be counted on to give you at least one like weird performance. Because remember, last year we had the double hit of her smell and her two performances in Us. She's one of the best out there she rules number six you may have been aware of it's a guy Ritchie movie starring matthew mcconaughey charlie hunnam jeremy strong colin farrell hugh grant absolutely no idea what you're talking about it's called the gentleman what <clears throat> ah? it's supposed to be it's a hey. guy Ritchie movie about classy criminals speaking in thick british accents that sounds not great I'm skipping number seven. We'll probably finish with that. Because number eight is Onward. Number nine is Tanahaji, which is a Hindi language period piece. And number 10 is Tolo Tolo, which is an Italian language comedy. Because so few movies had full theatrical runs this year that there are two movies with $50 million that are not in English in the top 10 at the box office. Huh. That's crazy. Number seven is a movie that I pointedly did not see. It stars Harrison Ford. Uh, is it a talking dog movie? It is not a talking dog movie. It is a dog movie. Oh, okay. It's an adaptation. Um, it's the the one with the creepy, creepy dog. Oh, but you're talking about because the outrageously large dog is for some reason entirely CGI, like they are making Pete's dragon and the central animal has never existed in the world? Yeah, it's, uh, not White Fang, Call of the Wild. That's the one. 
that movie it looked like it would give me nightmares. That is currently the seventh highest grossing film of the year. Oh my god. Again, at the box office. Huh. Well, anyway, should we talk about another 2020 movie that came out last week? Uh, yeah, let's do it. It has been a, a weird year for movies, but there are a lot of good things out there, and it is nice to be able to shout some of those out. I realize that a big part of my usual tweeting is just tweeting about movie trailers when I'm waiting for something to start, and that's why I haven't been tweeting as much this year, and also because, you know, don't want to be crowding the timeline with my dumb movie thoughts when we should be talking about Black Lives Mattering. Yes. I also never tweet, so... <laughs> which is a good policy in itself. <laughs> which has been uh, really working for me in life. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is a podcast dedicated to answering the most important, unimportant question of our day, namely, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even likable. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what is there. And this week, we are looking at a brand new release, the directorial debut of Max Barbacow, Palm Springs, which was just released on Hulu last Friday. I knew that it was like a time loop movie, but I didn't really know what to expect going into it. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's fun. It's so fun. It was so good. Got me emotional at times. I really liked it. So this movie premiered at Sundance in 2020, which is a weird thing to think about because at Sundance, we were looking towards all the things that would be released theatrically this year. And it was pretty well received there. So that's how I was aware of it. And it was notable because it broke the record for the biggest sale at Sundance by matching the price of the previous record and adding 69 cents to it. Uh, What a move. It's a real Lonely Island move. Yeah, it really is. And it is worth noting that Andy Samberg and the rest of Lonely Island produced this movie. Right. Hulu presents a Hulu original, and then it was like two other companies present a Lonely Island's classic. Was the right. Lonely Island's classic with a <laughs> card that is designed to look like the Sony Picture Classics one. Yeah. That was the titles in the credits at the end. Yeah. And it is good to note, again, with that Hulu original, in the weird times we live in, that kind of thing is attached to stuff that... Hulu did not actually develop like this movie. They bought it at Sundance in a joint buy with Neon. So it was supposed to get a theatrical release, but like so many things, debuted on streaming. Well, I'm glad I got the chance to watch it. I would have seen it in theaters probably, but it was very good. Yeah, right off the bat, highly recommend that people go to Hulu and check out Palm Springs. Yeah, I loved Kristen Milioti in this. Yeah, she's somebody who has done a lot of theater acting. She was in the Broadway cast of Once, but most... TV and film viewers probably know her as the mother from How I Met Your Mother, who is most remembered for being murdered in the finale. Uh, I just, I've read the summary of the end of that show, and I can't wrap my mind around it. It was funny during the course of that season where the producers were always talking about like, yeah, we needed to cast somebody who like the audience would fall in love with because we've spent the whole series building up to this person and we need it to work. And the thing is like, they succeeded and then killed her to do a dumb story thing. Yeah, it- is insane. But I could easily see myself falling in love with Kristen Milioti in that show because she's very good in this. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. And then, of course, we have Andy Samberg of <laughs> I, all the things you know Andy Samberg from, Brooklyn yeah. Nine-Nine, Saturday Night Live, those hot rod lovers out there. I love Andy Samberg. He is playing Andy Samberg in this, uh, like more dramatic than usual, but it works really well. And he is one of my biggest Hollywood crushes, to be honest. Oh, he's a huge cutie. I really enjoyed seeing him in this. And then all of a sudden, 
jk simmons out of nowhere yeah who's awesome in this <laughs> it's so good jk simmons is that person where just like any movie is automatically going to be made better even if he has like a line thrown in somewhere he's so good in this movie his first scene in the movie if you haven't seen this movie you really shouldn't listen to the spoilers i went in knowing nothing i'd recommend that too pause it here go watch it and then come back i will say i knew more and still really enjoyed it because when he just showed up out of nowhere and shot Andy Samberg with a bow and arrow, I lost it. I had no idea what was going on. It's pretty great. It was one of my favorite character introductions. Just out of yeah, nowhere. Wonder, is that the best character introduction this year? Or is it Simon Cowell in Scoob? God, I can't believe he has, like, a significant role in the film Scoob. Scoob is a truly abominable film. Not to be confused with the film Abominable, which is a different animated movie that opened in the past year. Um, It is, like, the worst kind of animated movie in that it is trying so hard to be cool and trendy. But the problem is with digital animation, you have to lock in a script, like, three years out so that you can animate around it. That's if you're going to animate well, which was not a concern for Scoob. But what that means is the thing is chock full of cultural references that already feel really tired as the movie is desperately trying to tell you how cool it just is. And it's also like being pulled in the other direction of trying to start a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe. So like Dick Dastardly is the bad guy and they're hanging out with Dino Mutt and they have to fight Captain Caveman who's played by Tracy Morgan. Insane. Will and I were talking while we were watching this about how... It's easy to see the time we live in through the lens of how many movies about time loops and TV shows we're getting. And this movie, I think, does it well. I really loved Russian Doll, and I was a little concerned about it, but I really enjoyed this. And then Will brought up the fact that three abominable snowman movies came out in 19 months of each other. So if you can tell me what that says about our current society, please let me know. We've got small feet and we're looking for an abominable missing link. That's all there is to it. I just, how? How did that happen? Yeah, there have been a number of time loop stories recently. You mentioned Russian Doll. On top of that, there are the Happy Death Day movies. Going back further, you have Edge of Tomorrow. To the point that I read some interviews and Akiva Schaefer, who produced this movie, talked about how they almost did not make the movie because they were like, mm, I don't know about this. There are too many time loop movies happening right now. We don't want to get lost. But I think it works, and it is this strange thing that's being talked about in a lot of reviews, how there is an extent to which the movie might even feel somewhat more resonant because we are all staying in our homes and, in a way, living the same day over and over again. I definitely felt that. Like, get meshed with this because they're only seeing the same people over and over again for the most part. And at the end of the day, their relationship does kind of burst out of it in a way that makes it really stronger. And I think, too, that it kind of mirrored the way that many of us have experienced living in self-quarantine, where many people at the beginning talked about all the things that they were going to do and get done during this, where there was a bizarre, excited quality to it. Whereas by now, those of us who are responsibly still staying inside have sort of settled into a more bland repetition, the way Andy Samberg has at the start of the movie. I really liked the way they established, at first, his dialogue. You're kind of like, oh, is this maybe he's been in the loop before? But I really wasn't expecting him to be so far into it. Which is a fun spin, because the movie just says, you have seen Groundhog Day, you understand how time loops work. So... Having him start so deep into it, I think, is kind of exciting because we don't watch all those things that we've seen before. Instead, we're seeing someone who has been there for so much longer. Right. 
because he like gives the speech and it's perfect. He puts a chair where someone's falling down. Well, he does a whole like dance through yeah. all the guests where he clearly knows where every person is going to be. It's unbelievable. Right. And it's he's starting to you don't know if he's like actually believing this or not, but it seems he's starting to forget what life was like before the loop because he's been in it for so long. And he has resigned himself to doing this forever, but he has decided to take the most positive possible attitude about it because what else is he going to do? Right. The opening scene of this movie with Misty was like so depressing, but so funny at the same time. You're talking about the scene where they're having sex. And- yeah. She's like, you could finish and watch me. And she's like packing. And I th- I mean, we're getting into the movie, which we should maybe do anyway, because yeah. a lot of the stuff we would normally talk about isn't there to be talked about. There's no box office. The film wasn't released. It's the debut of its director, Max Barbacow. It's the first feature by its writer, Andy Ciara. But I mean, I think part of what's going on there, where Andy Samberg's character, Niles, isn't able to finish when he's having sex with his girlfriend, Misty, played by Meredith Hagner, is that like... He has done this so many times and done it with the knowledge that she is cheating or is about to cheat on him that, like, that's what he's thinking about. Right. I think, yeah, so I think we should just get into it. This movie's really well constructed. I think that's one of the things I really liked about it. So every week we break down the plot of a movie into five points to analyze the romance. So point one starts with Andy Samberg opening his eyes on the day of the wedding. Hey, Misty. What? you kill me? Niles, look, I know weddings make you super weird, super uncomfortable, but please, I'm begging you to not bring our drama here, okay? Because this is truly a sacred day, and it doesn't belong to us. This day belongs to Tala, and it belongs to Abe. And he seems happy at first. Right, he's in a relationship with Misty, played by the always excellent Meredith Hagner. She's so good in Search Party. I don't know yeah, if you, she's a blast. I haven't watched seasons two or three, but she's one of my favorite parts of season one for sure. Oh, well, you got to watch the rest of it. I know. And you just have to go to the max to do it. <laughs> I know. I got to get on the max. If only they would ever unveil apps for the ways most people watch TV. My God, it's insane. Although as we're recording, Peacock is scheduled to come out on Wednesday. And as of last week, and I haven't seen an update, Peacock also did not have apps for Roku or Fire TV. <laughs> It's so dumb. Everyone watches Roku or Fire TV. It's something like 70% of smart TVs run on that software. I don't get it at all. It's pretty weird. Uh, But yeah, so the movie starts by going to the max. And it's clear that this relationship is kind of on the rocks. Misty tells him not to bring his drama to the wedding because it's not about him. It's about the love of Tala and Abe. And one of the things I like is the way that Niles occupies an odd position at the wedding. Like, the fact that he is there as a plus one of the wedding party means that he doesn't know a lot of the people. So what he does know about them has just come from looping over and over and over again. And, like, he doesn't show up at the wedding. When you don't really know he's looping, it's weird to see that he's not at the wedding and then shows up in this Hawaiian shirt and swimsuit to the reception. I love his entrance there with just giving the perfect wedding speech. Right, he gives this whole wonderful speech about how you are not alone, and he does it in part to protect Sarah, the sister of the bride slash maid of honor, from having to give what will be a terrible speech. After Misty gave a terrible speech. Right, and at the time, I felt like it was him protecting Misty who had just given a terrible speech. But then you kind of come to realize how it's about Sarah. Everyone loves the speech. The reception's a great time. And really, when we see evidence of how well he knows everything that's going on, is when we see Niles 
dancing through the crowd, knowing exactly where everyone will be, clearly hamming it up to try to get with Sarah. Which is itself weird, because it could just be in good fun, but also we know, like, he is there with his girlfriend, Misty. Yeah, it's weird to see him so openly flirt with Sarah while Misty is there. And you kind of are like, he's a shady guy, because he's very flirtatious. He name drops her hairspray frequently, Orchid Explosion by Fournier. And is, like, making moves. And then Sarah herself knows about the girlfriend. So she's kind of like, what are you doing? That's when he brings her to the bathroom where he sees Misty hooking up with... Who was it in this loop? No, it's always Trevor the Cowboy Officiant. It is always Trevor. I didn't recognize him the first time. I recognized his cowboy outfit. Yeah, he's a weird character. Trevor the cowboy officiant with a pocket full of drugs. It's cocaine, but it's colored. Yeah, it's it's blue cane and green cane. It's weird. It's like it's like if cocaine were fun dip. That's exactly what it looks like. And you get that that like white stick of hardened sugar and you scoop it out and lick it off. And then your tongue gets cocaine colored. I love fun dip. Yeah, fun dip rules. Is it sugar in a bag? Yeah. Is it great? Also yeah. Yeah. So after this, he and Sarah go out into the desert because it's Palm Springs, and they're hooking up on rocks. And they're about to bang when (laughs) J.K. Simmons shoots an arrow into Niles' shoulder. It's so good. It's just so good. And what's also great about it is that Niles doesn't react like, holy crap, someone shot an arrow at me. He reacts like he is exasperated. Right, because he's been through this so many times. He's just like, oh, Roy, you again. Again? Leave me alone. So then Niles runs away from Roy, he gets shot in the leg, and finally makes it to a cave that is glowing red. And Sarah's following him, and he shouts at her, tells her not to follow him into the cave, but she does, which takes us to point number two. And before we go to point number two, I think we need to notice one thing about Niles, which is that his name is Niles with a Y. It fits him, though. It does, but it's the kind of thing that people deserve to know. Yes. And now, I think, in this day and age, a character should not be named Niles unless you were directly referencing the character from Frasier, which this character is not. I think David Hyde Pierce kind of owns the name Niles at this point, and you should respect it. Like, what would be an equivalent? Like, if you named another character Chewbacca but had no mention of Peter Mayhew? Yeah. Or, like, just naming a character Han Solo. Like, you have to acknowledge that there's baggage with this name. There's baggage with the name Niles. I mean, Han Solo would be a lot, but, like, naming a character Han, yeah. for example. Frasier lasted for 11 seasons and left an indelible mark on the American culture. Please respect it. All right. Glad that we've acknowledged that. <laughs> you brought up your point about Niles. I brought up mine. So, point number two, Sarah, by going into the cave, has now joined the loop. Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about. Yeah. So she wakes up on the day of the wedding. Which is a fun inversion of the Groundhog Day thing where Bill Murray has to figure out that he is in this weird loop. In this one, we have Niles as her Virgil guiding her through the world of the loop. Right. I don't know of many time loop stories where there's two people thrown into it so fast with, like, a guide. Yeah, the closest thing is Edge of Tomorrow, in which Emily Blunt had been in the time loop and lost it, and now Tom Cruise is in the time loop. So they're not going through it together, but she is giving him advice on what to do. Right. But in this now, they are stuck together forever. And so they start off, like, she's demanding explanations. She doesn't want to be a part of it. She's mad at him at first. But after a couple of days, 
She's like, whatever. Pulls him into a car. They start driving around. And this is where Niles gives his whole philosophy, which is like, life is pointless. Nothing we do matters because the day just resets. So none of our actions really have consequences. And she asks him what the meaning of life is. And he says, well, we don't have a choice but to keep living because dying just resets. Right. So he has found this calm in living peacefully, sort of doing what he wants and letting that repeat over and over again. I loved when he said one time I smoked a bunch of crystal meth and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. (laughs) Is that the first time Equatorial Guinea has been mentioned in an American movie? It's gotta be up there. It was such a good choice of country. I lost it. Yeah, that is a good one. And that's also him suggesting like, you know, you can try to drive home to Texas, but you're just gonna wind up back here. So don't bother, just do some nice stuff here. And then... So Sarah crashes the car, wakes up again. Now, Sarah... Well, she deliberately drives in front of a semi-truck. Right. Hoping that that will work. And he's like, no, I've tried suicide. It doesn't work. And we do see what's notable when she commits to doing it. He puts his head on the dashboard saying, you can't die, but you can still feel a lot of pain. So if you're going to kill us, I want to die as quickly as possible. And it's important to know that Sarah is already seemed kind of lost. She is the black sheep of the family. And so she is kind of desperate to get out of the day already. Like, she wanted the day to end from the beginning. Right. We later learned that, like, she had been married. That marriage lasted about two years. And it seems like she also has some history maybe with substance abuse. So this wedding of her apparently perfect selfless sister is a day that she would not particularly choose to be trapped in. Unlike, say, J.K. Simmons, who by the end of the movie says, you know what, this is a good day. Right. So after the crash they wake up and the two of them kind of just we see them have their montage of just enjoying the day repeatedly where they're like going to bars having a good time they start pulling some pranks particularly they pull a couple of pranks on misty they meet darla who i love darla's great darla hangs out at the dive bar in town right and we say hangs out we don't know if she's there all the time but she's there on that day she's there on november 9th yeah and so there's a scene where they are practicing dancing in the desert But it has been long enough that you forget about them dancing. And then they show up at the dive bar in matching outfits and do a full choreographed dance that ends with her straddling his waist with her legs and them spinning and flipping everyone in the bar off and then leaving. And no one says anything. And I loved it. It is the more extreme version of Bill Murray every day in Groundhog Day, going up to a woman's house, paying her $1,000 to teach him to piano until by the end he's a virtuoso. Right. And then they celebrate his millionth birthday at the bar. And finally, they have their first night of, like, actual emotional bonding that we see. It is worth noting there's a point, for example, where she asks, like, oh, you know, you're living with no consequences. Do you have tons of sex? And he's like, no, it's honestly, like, too much effort. Like, the work that you have to do to get somebody to have sex with someone that they've met that day isn't worth the time to do that over and over again. But he has had sex with almost everyone at the wedding. Right. He says that, but he's had sex with most of the people at the wedding, uh, both men and women. Yeah, except for her dad. That is the one that we know for sure he has not had sex with. And he also says when she asks that he had never had sex with her in any of the loops. Yes. Which is particularly significant since they had been about to have sex when he was shot by J.K. Simmons and she followed him into the cave. Right. I didn't believe it for a second. (laughs) But then they have a really nice night together by a fire. It gets a little awkward because she wants to know more about him. And he's like, the past is unimportant. And later he says 
he basically doesn't really remember much of his past. Like, he could barely remember what his job was. Right. But, you know, they have a nice moment. They see dinosaurs, but I think it's the mushrooms that they're on. I think it's definitely the <laughs> mushrooms that they're on because there are no dinosaurs in California. You don't know that, Will. I'm pretty confident. There was that one tyrannosaur that made it to San Diego in the Lost World, but I think it died. No, they sent it back to Costa Rica. Well, anyway, they <laughs> go into the tent and that night they have sex for the first time. And specifically what she says is, let's just get it over with. Like, yeah. At some point, if we keep looping forever, we're going to have sex. Let's do it now. Yeah. And I think when we get to the dating advice section, we should remember, let's get over it is a successful pickup line. <laughs> it works here. But this brings us to point three, the day after they have sex for the first time. Wake up. And things are weird. They both wake up feeling pretty good. They're like, ah, yes, you know, we've found a nice equilibrium where we'll be together and that'll be really delightful. But then we get the next big turn in the movie beyond the existence of the loop, which is the fact that Sarah has been waking up not in her own bedroom, but in the bed of the groom, Abe, played by Tyler Hecklin. So earlier in the movie, in an attempt to break the loop, Sarah also tries to be the best person she can be and whispers something in her sister's ear at the wedding and then runs off that makes her sister very upset. Right. She basically tries the Groundhog Day solution. Yeah. Where Bill Murray has to learn to be a good person and to find fulfillment in life. She's like, great, I'm gonna just do that. Yeah. So it was pretty clear to me, at least, what was going on. And so she wakes up in bed with Abe and is immediately reminded of her mistakes. And she basically disappears. Well, first, she becomes more determined to get out because she's like, I'm sick of waking up with him every day and being reminded that I betrayed my sister, that I did this horrible thing. And so then she becomes more convinced that they need to get out. But she also starts acting more recklessly. This is where she's driving with Niles in the car and she attempts to murder Roy, J.K. Simmons. She drives a car into him when he is standing on the side of the road. Well, she only clipped him. (laughs) And she says... (laughs) rammed him between two bumpers. Yeah. (laughs) And then they are both arrested because he's a cop and he had called for backup. So they're sitting handcuffed by the side of the road and Niles is frustrated with her. He's like, yeah, like you shouldn't go around causing pain to people. Like the pain that we cause others and ourselves is still real. And like those people don't know it, but you do. And you have to live with the horrible things that you do, which I think again is an interesting perspective where we have this sense of someone who's been in this loop for so long and may not remember much of his life before the loop, but remembers all of these things and all of these details that he's picked up. Things do matter. Like that's the thing is he's kind of living in this world where he has a moral code because the bad things you do do matter in the long run. And they matter even if nobody knows. Yeah. It is a movie that argues quite aggressively for, like, true morality. Right. Things are bad outside of whether you're caught, essentially. And Niles admits that they'd had sex thousands of times. Well, she's complaining about being in the loop, and she's complaining about having had sex with him. She's like, yeah, I can't believe, you know, I wish I'd never gotten in this loop. I never would have had sex with you. And he says, oh, please, we've had sex thousands of times. And that's kind of the breaking point. She runs in front of a truck, and then the next morning, Niles can't find her. And for the next several loops, we don't know how long, but it seems like a lot of loops, he cannot find her. It is worth noting he figures out that she had had sex with Abe in one of the loops. Some of the guys are hanging out after the wedding, and he can smell her orchid explosion perfume on Abe's pillow. Orchid explosion by Fournier. Right. And at one point, he tells Jerry one of the other guys at the wedding, that he misses Sarah and that he's in love with her. Yeah. And that's the first time he's kind of admitted to love in general. Yeah. 
And that's when we see Sarah, what Sarah's been doing. Right. Which is learning all of quantum mechanics. Yes. She has been teaching herself quantum physics to try to figure out a way to get out of the loop. And somehow she solves it. Yeah. With help of, she takes a lot of classes online. She takes notes. She consults with Clifford Johnson. That's the guy she Skypes with. He is an actual theoretical physicist who consults on movies that use time travel. That's very fun. Yeah, IndieWire did a story about him that is pretty nice, and I'll put it up on our social media. The most interesting thing I learned in the story, though, is that the U.S. National Academy of Science runs a helpline, which writers can call up and get somebody to answer their questions about how science works. That's amazing. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? I love that that exists. So she then sends a goat into the cave and then sends a goat strapped with C4 into the cave. Because her whole theory is that this cave, this glowing cave has been opened up by an earthquake and they passed into this portal in the cave and were trapped in the loop and that effectively they need sufficient force to blow them through the portal as opposed to being bounced back. And a lot of C4 will theoretically do that. So then this is point four. Sarah and Niles meet up again, and Sarah's like, blow yourself up with me. (laughs) Yes. And it's worth noting, she has that argument, but he starts off by saying like, hey, I thought we had something really good going. I screwed up. And he tells her that he loves her, and he doesn't want to attempt to leave. He wants to stay in the loop and stay with her in what can be a fairly carefree life. And she's like, no, I'm going. You can come with me or not. Goodbye. She wants a life that has forward motion. Right. And so she goes through the wedding. And it's a thing where they are making these different pitches, but both of them are saying, like, do this with me. Leave with me. Stay in the loop with me. Right. But she decides that it's important to move forward. And it's also important for her to have the best wedding day possible, too. She gives the toast to her sister. That was so sweet. Yeah, she does a great job. But at the same time, Niles goes and finds Roy in an attempt to get tortured because he's feeling emotional torture. Right. Roy is J.K. Simmons, who is also in the loop because at one version of the party, he and Niles got drunk and stoned. And Roy said, this is the best day. I wish it could be this day forever. And Niles was like, okay, and led him through the cave. And that's why Roy is now killing Niles because he hates being stuck there. Right. But by this point, Roy has found peace with it all where he's like, look, it's a good day. I've got my wife. I've got my kids. He has his son watering a piece of dog poop with a watering can. (laughs) It's pretty great. And after Roy experienced getting killed, he even has given up his anger at Niles. Like he's given up his quest to hunt Niles. Right. Because the pain you cause matters. And he had not realized that. Right. So he's just living a day himself. Um, I loved when Niles was like, can you just kill me here so I can beat the traffic? So he does. He shoots him in the recycling bin. Yeah. And then Niles decides that it's time and hunts down Sarah at the cave. He rushes back, makes it to the cave, declares that he'd rather die with her than live in the loop without her if she managed to escape. So they blow themselves up and they kiss in the fiery explosion. I thought the movie would end there. I did too. But it didn't, because we're only on point four, and that brings us to point five. Wake up. It's November 10th. It's November 10th. The two of them are floating together 
in the pool of a house who Niles had found the family was out of town. So he would go and relax there when he wanted to get away from the wedding. Right. So the two of them are just floating. He says he has to go pick up his dog that's just been with a neighbor. The first time it's come up. Yeah, the first time it's come up. She's like, why haven't you mentioned this? He's like, well, we haven't talked about it before. He's one of those shaggy dogs. Yeah. He is possibly the shaggy dog? I doubt it. But then we find out, of course, the family comes home on November 10th. And And that's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. (sighs) It was really fun. Yeah, it's a good time. I actually, for unrelated reasons, watched Groundhog Day last night. I'm doing a, like, summer movie series with some students from my school. So we did Groundhog Day in a conversation today. But it was kind of nice to watch them together. So after watching all of Palm Springs, though, do you find the romance believable? I mean, here's the thing is, like, at the end of the day, I think the movie is, like, very fun and very funny. It charts onto a pretty neat rom-com arc where you have a meeting, like, a kind of kind of a meet-cute in a way, then series of, like, hijinks and fun and them building up a relationship, culminating in they have sex, then there's a conflict after that, and then they wind up deciding that they want to be together despite the conflict. I Yeah, I thought that too, but I thought it was interesting to kind of superimpose that on the being stuck. Right, no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's the kind of thing where they have this complicated time loop narrative, and so having a simpler story or a story arc that we're more familiar with allows that to balance out better. Right. So I think the two of them make sense together, at least. I think that especially going through all that fun stuff together, which makes sense. Like, if I was in that loop, I would immediately, if I found anyone, like, it makes so much sense that they would fall into just hijinks. And then it makes sense to me that that would lead into deeper conversations after what could be years. Right. We have no way of knowing. I do kind of wish that we had maybe seen more of those deeper conversations where what we get of their relationship focuses on the hijinks. Yeah. So that then when, like, it's one thing to say, like, yeah, then they have sex. But when they start declaring love, I feel like that's not necessarily there in the same way. Yeah. This movie is a tight 90. This movie is like 89 minutes and 45 seconds or something. It's one that maybe could have used an extra five minutes of deeper emotion between the two of them. Yeah. Because I feel like even particularly with Niles, we spend a lot of time with him missing her after she goes off to learn physics. And so when he starts confessing love, it's the combination of the fun they had together and him feeling her loss. And when we see her version of that time period, it's so focused on the physics of it that we don't get the sense that she's feeling the loss in the same way. But at the same time, she's not really expressing as much the loss of him either. The movie makes it clear that he is much more dependent on her than she is on him. So I would not say it's a perfect 10, but I think it would rate pretty high. I'm thinking like an 8. Yeah, I think 8 is probably... Probably the move here. It's hard to account for. Um, I've, I've had sex with time. you in thousands of time loops. Yeah. And you didn't know about it and where that fits in. Yeah. Do you think that Niles or Sarah is dateable? Um, Probably. I, I wish that I knew more about Sarah's backstory. Like I said, we have this sense that she has been a bit of a mess, but we don't get a lot of details. For Niles, we know like nothing about his life outside of this. But I like his general positivity. He's fairly easygoing, but also... Cares about, on some level, doing the right thing. Yeah, I think end of movie Niles is dateable. Sarah, I mean, the thing is, the movie doesn't need them. Like, we don't need the full story of their lives. So it's hard to judge. But, you know, I'd say Sarah probably not for me, but she's not undateable. Yeah, there's an interesting thing with Niles' claim that the past doesn't matter and there is no future. It's just who you are today that I don't entirely agree with. But I think there is a sense that 
like the most important thing you can do is focus on what you are doing right now and try to do good. If you did have to pick one person to date, who would you choose? I don't know. What do you think? I don't remember his name. Give me one second. Are you trying to remember Trevor, the cowboy officiant with drugs in his pocket? I am not trying to remember Trevor, the cowboy officiant with drugs in his pocket. His name is Jerry. Oh, yeah. Jerry seems really nice. Yeah. Jerry seems great. Um, He's the one who Niles turns to when he needs emotional support. He's the one that Niles tells he's in love with Sarah. Yeah. (laughs) Niles also has sex with Jerry just to... I think it sounds like just to see what it's like, because he is stuck in an infinite time loop. If you're going to, like, try something, you might as well do it then. I mean, absolutely. And it's the kind of thing where, like, if you're in an infinite time loop, like, even if you're, like, pretty straight or, like, pretty yeah. just homosexual, I feel like you try the other. Right. So, I, I love Jerry. Yeah, he seems nice. He doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he seems like a good dude. He is someone I was thinking of. For me, it would probably be him or Niles. Yeah, I think Niles is the other option, because Abe and everyone else is terrible. I guess Tala. All we know about her is that she's perfect and selfless. Tala seems really, yeah, really nice and selfless. She is married. But, but you know, that marriage might not last. <laughs> I don't see that marriage lasting. <laughs> but do you think Niles and Sarah would stay together? I don't know. I know nothing about their lives. Yeah, it's hard to Niles say. Niles has a dog. I feel like I kind of need to know something about what their life looks like. And after this experience, they might be more willing to upend their lives to be closer together or something like that. I think they probably would be. Yeah. But I have no sense of what any of their life beyond this loop looks like. Yeah. So a lot of movies we cover are adapted into stage musicals. Should they make a musical version of Palm Springs? What do you think? I think no. I think that this movie works really well. In Palm Springs. The setting is such a key the part to scenery, it. The scenery. The like, weird desert environment. It's too important. And you could kind of do it with projections. But I think it would lose something. I think the actual the setting, the shots of the pool, like them swimming in the pool are so important. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It is worth noting there is a Groundhog Day musical that I've heard is pretty good. I mean, the pool is just so important in this movie. Yeah, that shot of the pizza floater. Yeah. All right, I think that about does it for this one. Yeah, I always love, uh, you know, once or twice a year we do something new, and I feel like this was a worthy one for us to cover. Definitely. Next week, we will be looking at the Coen Brothers film from 2000, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It might be an adaptation of The Odyssey. It's credited as that. Uh, kinda. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular help new people to find the show. All right. Last question. What's the best piece of dating advice we got from this movie? Um, If you know somebody is unhappy with a relationship, just end it, which is what Niles finally does with Misty when he breaks up that relationship. And she gets really upset because people don't break up with her. <laughs> she was like, yeah. It reminded me of Jerry Maguire. I know. I loved it. I- he's like, I'm not trying to make history here. I loved when she was like, no, I don't like you. But people don't break up with me. She's great. Hmm. It's tough because most of the situations in this movie are difficult to recreate. Um, I guess you should care about the part of the candy bar that's already gone. Yeah. It's in your belly. <laughs> yep. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. 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 Dinosaurs having a
the party. They eat fruit and cucumber. They fell in love. Then what they They say thank you. A big bang came and they and they died. Dinosaurs, dinosaurs fell in love, but they didn't say goodbye. But they didn't say goodbye.